I was wondering where this windscreen was for this uh, microphone, but I see now that somebody chewed it up over anxious preacher, I guess, or something. <laughs> but praise the Lord. What a wonderful opportunity it is to stand here, windscreen or not, and preach the gospel to you. And this morning, literally, that's what we'll be focusing upon, upon the biblical gospel. And um, over the next several messages, I'll be preaching in a series that I've simply entitled Real Christianity. And I know that may sound a little bit redundant, and you say, well, preacher, what are you talking about when you say real Christianity? Well, real Christianity is that which we believe related to Jesus Christ and all that God has revealed about the Christian faith that adheres to the Bible. Simple as that. The Christianity that adheres to the Bible. In contrast to the cultural Christianity which tends to accommodate the trends of the culture and is flex, changes with the culture and so therefore the belief system that is built around that. So I'm preaching this series that the Lord has just impressed upon my heart that I've entitled Real Christianity and today I want to focus our attention upon what I call the, the biblical gospel. So much of this you know, but let's put it out before ourselves and just make sure that what we are proclaiming as a gospel, and I trust that you are, that you are wherever you go in, in your circle of influence at work or at home, in the neighborhood or school, wherever you are, that you are a messenger. You have the opportunity to share the same gospel that I do, but let's just make sure that what we're sharing is indeed biblical. It is a reflection of real Christianity. You know, the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1, in verse 16, he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel either. Are you? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Never be ashamed of the gospel. And yet I say that with some sense of conviction on my heart. Because sometimes, you know, you can be in a circumstance or a situation with a person and, and you know, you feel that prompted. You want to talk to them about Jesus. You want, to, you want to get to the point of having the opportunity to share the gospel. And yet, you know, because of the attitude of the culture, this pagan secular culture in which we live and, and, and so many people being offensive, you know, or uh, towards Christianity that, you know, you hesitate. And the Spirit of God just, just gets all over me. And, and I want you to pray for me. I'm honestly asking you to pray for me that I will be more faithful not to be ashamed of the gospel, to be more open and, and, and willing to talk to people openly about Jesus Christ and this glorious message of the gospel. So in your Bibles, turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. I want us to use that as a launching off point, though we'll be looking at a variety of other passages related to the biblical gospel. But in, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, I want us to read this passage. And when I preached through the message, the, the, the Gospel of Matthew, several, or maybe a couple of years ago, we, we, we camped out on this chapter and on these verses here, verse 13 through 20. And, and by the way, I know that we have the outline to the message on the screen there. Uh, but just in case you are not copious in taking notes or you, don't, you find it hard to keep up with the screen, I... I have a small group of our members that had asked me some time ago if I would print the outline. 
uh, because it's easier for them to follow. And I, I have been doing that pretty routinely when I'm preaching. And if you're interested and you'd like a copy, if you'll just let me know, I'll add more to the stack. But anyway, uh, that way you can have it in your hand. If you're like I am, I can hear something today and before the day is over, it's gone. My mind, tune like that. So anyway, if that will help you, I'm just, just FYI. Uh, I don't get any remunerations from it. No, you know, I don't have a big book signing or nothing like that. And I won't be flying around in a Learjet as a result of selling my outlines. But anyway, it's for your benefit. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? I think it's interesting because Jesus already said something about who he is when he says, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, just in case you happen to have read Daniel 7.13, where Daniel speaks of the Messiah as the, quote, Son of Man, and Jesus has been speaking of himself routinely all the way in the Gospel of Matthew as, quote, the Son of Man. So it's, it's kind of like a hint, but, but still, he, he asks, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Verse 14, so they, say, they said, some say John the Baptist. I think about Herod, you know, King Herod, who had John beheaded, and then all of a sudden, the popularity of Jesus and, 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 and his fame and his ministry, and, and, and King Herod gets nervous and says, oh my goodness, it might be John the Baptist coming back to haunt me. So, you know, he, there, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. You know, all good names, all good associations, if you have to have associations. So that must be what they're hearing out there in the public arena. And you could just ask yourself, even stop at this point and say, you know, when it comes to the 21st century culture in which we live, who do people say that Jesus is? And you, you hear all kinds of answers, and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But then Jesus gets to the crux of the matter, and this is where the question is, and I'm calling this the key question, because I'm asking you too. I've asked myself this. We need to ask ourselves this question every day. Every day. The question that Jesus then says in verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Oh, watch out. Whoa, whoa. We can talk about other people. And we can give speculations about all the other opinions out there, but whoa, he wants to know now. He's, he's driving the nail straight into their heart, to their life. He's got the laser on them, if you will. Good old Simon Peter. I'm so glad we just finished walking through First and Second Peter. We got a better feel for this wonderful apostle. He had a tendency to speak before thinking sometimes, but this time he did. He spoke before he thought because he didn't think about this. As you'll see, what he's going to say here, folks, he didn't derive that through speculation and, and through deduction and through study because, well, we'll find out. Peter, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Did, did I say that? Where did, he's probably thinking in his mind, where did that come from? And I imagine Andrew and, uh, you know, and, and Matthew, the other, the other disciples are probably saying, where did he get that? You're the, you're the Christ. The Messiah, the Son of the living God. Wow. Look at Jesus' response. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed, happy are you. You know, Jesus will say that about you too. When you're out there in the midst of people and you're moving about in, in the circles that you move in and influence that you have and, and, and you just blurt out, you know, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the Son of the living God. That's who he is to me. Huh? 
That's God speaking through you. Jesus said, Blessed, happy are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And, and I say, also say to you that you are Peter, little rock. And on this big rock, this foundational rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. <laughs> I say to you, little rock, you just spat out something that is bigger than you can imagine. It's bigger than you, Peter. And the, and the church that I'm going to build, it's not built on you, Peter, and it won't be built on any of your descendants. It's built on a foundational principle of truth, a confession that you just made about Jesus, and he is the Christ, and he is the Son of God. And you remember in 1 Peter, Peter said to all those early believers there throughout Asia Minor, he says, you are living stones. <laughs> you, you are living stones, every one of you who makes this profession of faith, who dare to say with conviction in your heart, having been revealed to you by God the Father, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, you become a stone in the rock-solid foundation. Upon which Jesus said, I'll build my church. And do you realize every single one of you who have made that confession of faith that God has put in your heart? And that is what you believe about who Jesus is. Dear friend, let me tell you something. You are a, pow you are a part of the foundation. You are a living stone. And I'm going to tell you what. I'm associated with all kinds of groups and have been throughout my life. But nothing even comes close to the wonderful assurance that I have that knowing that I am a part of the body of Christ. No other club, no other organization, no political party, no school affiliation, not even a church membership comes close to just knowing that I am a part of the living, eternal, universal body of Christ that will live on forever. Amen? Hallelujah. And Jesus said, that's the foundation, buddy. You don't know it. But God just put that on your heart and in your mind. And folks, that brings me to the key point. And by the way, Jesus said, now about this church that I'm going to build, my church, by the way, it's not the Baptist or the Methodist church and it's not the Pope's church, I guarantee you. He said about this church, not even death will prevail. He used the expression, the gates of Hades. And in the Jewish culture that first century, most people thought about Death, Hades and death. And so therefore, when you died, entered into Hades, a holding place and, until you got to heaven, if you will. So you know, he's saying, look, you want to know how strong the church is? You, know, you want to know how strong this foundational faith confession is? Not even death can touch you when you're a part of the body. Amen. That got some people's attention. Because I'm going to tell you something. People were scared to die. They didn't, they didn't know what you and I know at that time. But they were finding out, weren't they? Because Jesus was revealing all kinds of wonderful things here. So that's the key question. Who do you say Jesus is? Your eternal destiny rides on the answer that you give to that question. And the key is what Jesus said when he said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. 
For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Let me tell you something. God's not inactively setting up there in heaven, disinterested and disengaged from what goes on here on the earth. Let me tell you something. Whether you realize or not, God is an active God. He's everywhere. He knows everything. He's all-powerful. Let me tell you something. He is in control. Amen? I, I said, He is in control. Amen? Because there's some scary things going on in this crazy world and it's chaotic and it's dangerous. But let me tell you something, God's not wringing his hands. He's in control and he still interacts in the lives of people. And let me tell you something, the Bible tells us clearly in John chapter 6 verse 44, Jesus says, no man comes unto me unless my father draws them. And do you understand, if you're here today and you're born again, you're a child of God, you're part of the body of Christ, let me tell you something, you didn't get there. And you didn't get that, you didn't earn that privilege because you're so smart and because you're so religious and because you're a member of the church and because you're so good. The only way that you're a Christian, dear friend, the only way that you know you're going to heaven one day when you die is because God chose you and me. And he drew us to Jesus Christ. And he gives us that confession of faith. And if you are wondrously blessed to have been elected by Almighty God, to be one of his chosen, adopted, redeemed children, then his Holy Spirit at some point has led you through a biblical process involving the gospel. And that's what I want you to look at today because I want you to be able to take somebody that you love, that God has put on your heart, and I want you to be able to lead them through this process as well. Of course, it won't be you. It'll be the same Holy Spirit that led you will lead them. But we are his mouthpieces. We are his instruments. That he uses. But he'll do the saving. Don't you worry about it. Sometimes we get the misconception that we are like, like Avon salesmen out there. Or, or Amtrak. Or not Amtrak. Amway. I don't guess you can sell a train, can you? I guess they do try to sell trains there. But, but you know, we, we think we're out there trying to peddle the gospel. Folks, let me tell you something. You're not going to sell anybody on anything. I don't care what a good spokesman you are. Listen, or, or, or what a good salesperson you are, what a wonderful personality you have, or how well you know the Bible. Let me tell you something. Every one of us stand on the level ground of being dependent upon God to ultimately do the saving. All we can do is the witnessing. But please know the gospel. Please know the biblical gospel when you have the opportunity to talk to people about Jesus Christ. And so if I can just walk you through this process and we'll be looking at scriptures that I, I guarantee you many of you know. And, and this process is really as simple as ABC, as you'll, you'll see. First of all, understand that the Spirit of God will lead you. If, and He has. If you're a Christian, you, this will be reminiscent. You'll remember. First of all, the Holy Spirit leads you to admit. A. Admit. Admit means to confess. And, and confession, according to the dictionary, is to be in agreement with someone. And in this case, it's to be in agreement with God. About what? Number one, the Spirit of God will lead you to admit that you're, you have a, a, a terminal, sinful condition. And when you're talking to somebody about the gospel, you want to let the Holy Spirit you know, use you to help them to come to admit their sinful condition. You are under the curse of sin. This is not just a New Testament concept all the way through the Old Testament. You know, those who knew God, for instance, in 1 Kings 8, verse 46, King Solomon rightly confessed, for there is no one who does not sin. Now that's Old Testament. And it was understood. 
Everybody sins. Everybody is under the curse of sin. And you know, that is so reflective of what the New Testament teaches us in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, when it says there's none righteous. Now, I know there's some people out there who think they're righteous, and they'll try to portray, portray that, but I guarantee you the Bible says there's none righteous. Not one, save for Christ himself, and of course, he's the son of God. In chapter 3, verse 23 of Romans, Paul says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So everybody you talk to needs to understand. I don't care how good they are, and I don't care how good their parents were, or how many times they've been in church, or uh, where their membership is. The fact is, they've got to understand, first of all, they were born under the curse of sin. They were born and under this sinful condition. And every person must admit their sinful condition, but also they must also understand about this sinful condition that with this, every person is subject to the penalty of sin. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the penalty of sin is death. That's not just when your heart stops beating and when you, when you cease to breathe, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's much more, much more than that. Because when the Bible says that we are under the penalty of sin, and the penalty of sin is death, that is when we are eternally separated from God. Once we die and leave this world, your soul has to go one or two places. And if you're not a child of God and under the blood of Jesus Christ, you won't see heaven. But your, your soul will experience hell. So the penalty of sin is death, which means eternal separation from God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, the Apostle Paul referred to those who reject Jesus Christ. And listen to the terminology that Paul uses there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. He says, These things shall be, these or these people shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That is an awful sentence. To be subjected to absolute agony without any hope of being delivered and never be able to experience the love of God ever throughout all of eternity. Separated from the love and the presence of the glory of God. Wow. But also not only to admit your sinful condition. If you're talking to somebody that doesn't know Jesus Christ, you also want to help them to see and let the Spirit lead them to admit not only their sinful condition, but admit their need to repent of their sins, all their sins. I know in one of the witness trainings we offered several years ago, the faith witnessing, and they talked about the concept of repent because sometimes I think we misuse that word. And it's important when we talk about repenting of our sins and the Bible does tell us over and over you need to repent. Think of the illustration they gave in that faith witness training. If you're driving down the road and someone is riding with you and they ask you to turn, what are they asking you to do? They're asking you to change directions, to turn around. In some case, a U-turn if you will. And you see the Bible says that the word repent means to turn. Number one, it means to turn from something. And that is self and sin. You haven't truly repented unless you have turned your back on that sinful self. And we all are born with a sinful flesh nature. And it will continually hound you to the day you die. So don't ever think you got the flesh whipped, ladies and gentlemen. The minute you think that, you're in trouble. You're going to get blindsided. Because it is a bent away from God and towards sin. And so we have to repent. We have to turn consciously away from self and sin. Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, Unless you repent, you shall all perish. We used to have an old mule that was kind of hard-headed. 
And, and, and it just got the notion that, you know, at some point during the work day, if it wanted to go to the barn where there was shade and water and food, it would go. And I can remember riding that mule trying to get it from one field to the other. And just, it, you could just tell something come across that mule like it's possessed. And, and I was turning his head towards the, towards the field and that mule was running towards the barn. Yes, that's the way some people are. Their, their head is turned back towards Jesus, but they're, they're, they're running in the direction of sin. Repent means to turn. Turn away from sin. Turn away from sinful habits. Turn away from sinful relationships. Turn away from sinful thoughts. Turn away from that old sinful nature that is within us. The Apostle Peter said in Acts chapter 3 verse 19 when he was preaching in that glorious Pentecostal movement or movement at Pentecost if I will at, at the early church he says repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out repentance is a lot more than remorse one of the greatest illustrations of remorse are politicians who get caught Oh, you, they're all over the news, you know. And, 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 and oh, you know, I feel so sorry, and I want people to forgive me, you know. You know, they're, they're not repenting. They turn around and go out there and do the same kind of scandalous thing. That's not repentance. That's remorse. They're sad that they got caught. The Bible's not interested in you being remorseful over sin and the consequence of sin. The Bible says, repent, turn. But it's not just a matter of turning from something, ladies and gentlemen. To truly repent, as the Bible calls repentance, is to turn to someone. And that is Jesus Christ and Him alone. When you make that U-turn and you take your eyes off of that sinful crowd that you've been running with and that sinful thing that you've been looking at on your computer or, or, or movies or, or those jokes you've been telling or those things you've been reading and those people you've been hanging out with, let me tell you something. And you turn and you look into the face of the Son of God who hung on that cross and died for you, that is the focus now of your life. He is the focus of your life. And you are turning to Him. Jesus said in John 14, 6, He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man come to, me, to the Father except through me. There is no other way. Do you all understand that? Sure you do. You've heard that taught and preached here at Cornerstone. Sure, Jesus is the only way. Peter again, Acts chapter 4. I mean, oh, Peter, that fisherman. <laughs> once he made that confession of faith and the Lord is all over him, let me tell you, particularly here at Pentecost where the Holy Spirit got a hold of him, Peter was blurting out some, some powerful things that God was saying. And one of the things that God said through Peter <clears throat> in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, he says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved, or given to man by which we can be saved. No other name. There's no other way. There's no other name but Jesus. So we have to turn from sin and we have to turn to the very one, the only one, who can save us from the awful penalty of our sin. So number one, you have to let the Spirit of God lead you to admit your sinful condition and you need to repent of all your sins. But then as we move along, let's look at B. Believe. Because the Holy Spirit is still at work now. Let's just say you're sharing this with somebody that you love, that you want to see come to Christ, and you've, you've talked to them now about, you know, and, and, if, and if God has appointed for that person to come to Jesus Christ, I promise you, I don't care how you stumble along, the Lord, His Holy Spirit, is going to bring that person to admit just what we talked about. But then the same Holy Spirit is working in that heart to bring them to believe. 
You see, you're not going to make somebody believe anything. Not of eternal significance. It's the Spirit of God that opens their hearts up. It's the Spirit of God that shines the light of truth into their heart. But you still got to talk to them. You still got to share with them. And that's what happened back in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 20, where, you know, Peter had all kinds of notions. But at that moment, at that pivotal divine moment, the, the Spirit of God blasted down from heaven and pierced his brain and his spirit and the lights went on and he saw Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And you couldn't convince him otherwise. That day forward. Many people believe wrongly about Jesus in our culture today, in Jesus' time, in our culture today. There are plenty of people that you and I interact with. You, you mentioned about Jesus. That's oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe Jesus was a good teacher. I, I believe he was somewhat of a social religious reformer. You know, somebody misunderstood. Oh yeah, I believe Jesus was a prophet. Oh yeah, he was a good prophet. You know, along with all these other prophets. He was a good prophet. Or some of these religious folks will say, you know, Jesus is actually a son of God. Oh, of course now Satan is too and then they'll name off all these other he's just one of many <laughs> people have all kinds of notions that they believe oh genius uh, uh, Jesus is yeah he, he's like a genie I need something I want to get you know promotion I just pray Jesus Jesus I need a promotion Jesus I need some money Jesus I need to be you know yeah whenever I need him he's there I just call on him people have some weird and, and unbiblical notions yeah, they say, oh, yeah, I believe Jesus. Oh, it's so, so, so unfortunate. He was just a victim of turbulent times. And bless his heart, got himself crucified. <laughs> just come along at the wrong time. Well, some people just look and oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I, I remember, you know, praying a prayer. And now, I'm, you know, I, I'm going to heaven. Because I believe in Jesus. Folks, let me tell you something. You can believe and believe and believe. But unless you believe rightly about Jesus Christ... You won't see heaven. Believe means, according to the dictionary, to have a firm, wholehearted religious conviction and persuasion. You've got to know that you know that you know based upon the teachings of the Word of God as revealed by the Spirit of God. And based upon that, you've got to know that you believe who the Bible says Jesus is. And that's what Jesus is asking them. Who do People say that I am, but more importantly, who do you say that I am? And one of the first things you've got to come to understand about Jesus Christ, dear friend, and I'm telling you stuff that you already know, but I'm trying to envision you having the opportunity to sit down with a friend or a loved one or an acquaintance and go through the ABCs of the gospel. And you want to make sure that they believe and the Spirit of God has led them to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. For God so loved the world, John 3.16, that He sent His only begotten Son. Only begotten Son. That is crucial. That's what a person has to believe about Jesus. You remember in Acts chapter 6, when Philip went out, was, was led by the Spirit of God down into the wilderness to have an encounter with a eunuch, an Ethiopian eunuch. And sure enough, Philip caught up with him and, and was teaching him out of the book of Isaiah, riding along in his chariot. And the light bulbs were going on in this eunuch's mind because the Spirit of God was speaking through Philip, using the Word of God. And it was becoming clear to this Ethiopian eunuch who Jesus really was. 
And so as they're going along, it tells us in Acts chapter 8 that the eunuch said, look, there's water. What keeps me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And listen to what the eunuch said. Now this is somebody that was stumbling along in the book of Isaiah, had no idea what he was reading. But you see, now he's been set straight by a witness from God, the Word of God, the Spirit of God. And the light bulbs are going on. Listen to what this uneducated, biblically uneducated Ethiopian eunuch said. He says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Does that sound reminiscent of what, uh, what Peter just said? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What did the eunuch say? I believe that this Jesus that you're talking about, that the Bible describes, He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. Peter, uh, Philip says, hot dog. Let's go to the water, brother. And that's what we have to help people to see, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the only begotten Son of God. Paul taught, taught this over in Galatians 4, in verse 4, he said, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. In Hebrews chapter 1, and we've been uh, going through this with the preaching team and all the way at, back to the very beginning. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it says, God at various times in different ways spoken in the time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by His Son whom he has appointed, heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Listen, Jesus Christ is not just a good teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a religious leader. He's not a social reformer. This Jesus, who is the Christ, is the only begotten Son of God. There is no other Son of God. He stands alone in that wonderful title of respect. But not only that, the Bible tells us, and we have to make sure, that we're, when we're sharing the gospel, that people understand that this Jesus is not only the only begotten Son of God, but He is God. He is God. If you go back to the gospel of John, in chapter 1, John says at the beginning of his gospel, he says, in the beginning was the Word of God, or in the beginning was the Word, speaking of Christ. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Let me read that again. And the Word was God. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Scripture says He is God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. It doesn't get any plainer than that, ladies and gentlemen. And until the Holy Spirit reveals that into the heart of somebody, they've got to understand that this Jesus they're talking about is not just a, a convenient ticket to heaven. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is God. He is fully divine. And that, in, in, John, in that same gospel, in John chapter 14, this is the passage where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Philip asked Jesus in that discourse there, he asked Jesus, he said, just show us the Father and it will be sufficient for us. And Jesus is shaking his head and said, Philip, <laughs> have I been with you all this time? And You know, you, you don't get it? He says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And they're probably mulling over that. Click, 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 click. <laughs> 
And Jesus goes on to clarify in verse 11 of chapter 14. He says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. And when Jesus prayed that beautiful pastoral prayer just before his crucifixion in John chapter 17, over and over Jesus said, I and the Father am one. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. We are one. We are one. The Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But they are equal. The Bible tells us in Colossians 2, 9 about this same only begotten Son of God who is the Christ. It says that in, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, for in Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. When they looked into the eyes of this Jesus of Nazareth, let me tell you something, they were looking into the eyes of eternal, almighty, sovereign God. Everything that was God about the Father was God about the Son. Everything that was God about the Spirit was God about the Son. When we are sharing the gospel with people, they need to know that this Jesus that the culture has so misrepresented and has so many weird notions about that he is the only begotten Son of God, he is God himself. And the Spirit will reveal that. But not only is it important to understand who Jesus is, to believe who Jesus is, but also to believe what Jesus did. Why did he come into the world? What was it all about? I go back to Galatians chapter 4 that I just shared with you. In verse 4, Paul says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as Son. Jesus came on a mission. That mission was not only to reveal his Father and the kingdom of God, but Jesus came to do. He didn't just come to teach. He didn't just come to reveal. Jesus came to fulfill a role that nobody in all of eternity, from the beginning of time, ladies and gentlemen, to the end of time, nobody has been able to fulfill this mission, never will be able, except the Son of God. He came to seek and to save. He came to fulfill His role as the Redeemer. He came that we might be saved from the penalty of our sins through his shed blood on that cross on Calvary's hill 2,000 years ago. He came to pay the price for the sins that you and I are guilty of. He came to redeem us from the awful penalty that Romans 6.23 tells us that sin brings upon us. He came to open up the gate of adoption so that you and I would be snatched out of the clutches of the devil. We'd go from being slaves of the devil and transferred and transformed into the kingdom of God. And not only that, we'll have eternal divine adoption papers that say we are children of God. Hallelujah. In John chapter 1 verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, believed in him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. Jesus came on a mission. To buy or to pay for our sins. To redeem us from the penalty of our sins. He came to rise from the grave. And he did. In 1 Peter 3.18 it says, For Christ once also suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Holy Spirit. 
Yes, indeed. We read responsively in our, in our worship guide this morning, right out of 1 Corinthians 15. And it talks about, here, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin, the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came. He died. But he was raised on the third day. Hallelujah. And because of that, we know that we can believe and trust in him. Quickly, I'll move to the last point, C, and that is to commit. And tragically, so many people fall under the conviction of this verse in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. You've heard me refer to it a number of times. In which Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see, coming to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is more than just having head knowledge that you will transfer into a ticket to heaven. And you, let me tell you something, that's not the biblical gospel. So many traditional gospel presentations stop short of this point. C is commit. Commitment. A life commitment. You see, so many of the presentations of the gospel that are out there in the cultural Christianity of the day, they stop short of this point. They're promoting some unbiblical account or concept of, the, of salvation that is as simple as having some emotional experience or praying some prayer, walking an aisle, signing a card, raising your hand, or in essence gaining fire insurance from hell or free ticket to heaven. So the people, freeing people to go on, and just live their lives like they want to because they have this false assurance thinking they're going to go to heaven. They think, oh, this is easy. It's simple. <laughs> I like Christianity. All I had to do is just go down there to the front and, and, and pray this prayer and sign a card. Now I can go back to drinking and partying and cheating and lying and, and living like I, I like to. I can have a good time. I got my ticket. Oh, my goodness. Right out of the pits of hell. If ever there was a deceptive ploy by the devil to mislead people, that was it right there. And shame on the church. Shame on the church for caving in to the culture around us so that we can make Christianity be, appear to be a little bit more palatable to those who are seeking. Shame on us. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. Listen, the only fruitful response to the gospel message is one of serious, radical, life-transforming commitment. And the authenticity of your relationship with Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen, is not hinged on a decision or an event that transpired in the past. The authenticity of your relationship with Jesus Christ, now listen carefully, is not hanging on some event in the past. The authenticity of your relationship with Jesus Christ is manifested right now in the present, in the priorities of your life. How do you live your life today? Are you committed to Jesus Christ? Is there evidence in your life that you have? Has the Holy Spirit led you to admit who you are in sin? Has the Holy Spirit led you to believe that Jesus Christ of the Bible is the Son of God and is God in essence? Has the Spirit of God brought you to the point that you need to make a commitment to trust Jesus Christ and Him alone as your Savior and as your Lord? Do you trust Him Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not upon your own understanding. In all your ways, especially the way to heaven, acknowledge Him and He will set your path straight, the Bible says. 
In Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and I emphasize the Lord. And when I say Lord, let me tell you something. The Bible says you are at that point making the commitment to allow Jesus to be the master of your life. And that's not just on Sundays and Easter and Christmas. It is every day of your life. You check in with the Lord. You check in with the Master. And you find out what it is He wants you to do that day. Where He wants you to go. What should be the priorities of your life for that day. And that's what it means to call Jesus Lord. He is the only way to salvation as He said in John 14, 6 and, and Acts chapter 4. It's not through your good works. It's not through your friendly personality. It's not through your charitable giving. Let me tell you something. It's not because you're a member of the church. Let me tell you something. The only way you get to heaven is by the grace of God and through faith in Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not by works and not by yourselves. It's a gift of God. And not by works, lest any man should boast. Oh, listen, we have to trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, making Him the only way to salvation, but also making Christ Lord. Understanding that is a costly decision. I need to move along, but I want to share out of Luke's Gospel, if I can. In Luke's Gospel in chapter 9, <clears throat> Jesus is talking about the concept of discipleship. And in verse 27, Luke chapter 9, verse 27, Now what happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, don't come after Jesus if you're looking for popularity, if you're looking for, you know, financial gain, or to get you a promotion on the job, or to win some sweetheart. Let me tell you something. Don't, don't come after Jesus for personal gain. Jesus said, I don't have anything. I don't even have a place to lay my head. Don't even own a house. Verse 29, it says, Then he said to another, Follow me. He said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I'll follow you. But let me first go and, and bid them farewell who are at my house. Jesus said, No one, listen to this, verse 62. No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And yet plenty of people who hear the gospel, or some rendition of the gospel, they say, Well, Jesus, you know, I really want to be saved. I really want to go to heaven. But first, let me go and enjoy a carnal life, social life. I really want to go to heaven. I really want to be there with you. But, but you know, first of all, let me have my ungodly friends. And let me pursue my education and get my career intact before I really get serious about you. Uh, Lord, let me go and be materialistic and accumulate as many things as I can so that I have all this. And, and then I'll get back with you. Or Lord, let me just be as sexually active as I can be. Let me enjoy everything, my family, my friends, and, and have it hoop it up. And then then I'll, 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 get, I'll work in. I'll work in. Ha! Jesus said, if you grab a hold of the plow of the kingdom of God, don't you dare look back. There's no person, there's no relationship, there's no possession, there's no position that comes close to the value of knowing that your soul is secure in Jesus Christ and He is the Lord of your life. It's costly. This thing of commitment, it costs. To, be obediently follow, to obediently follow Jesus requires daily faith in the Lord. 
Jesus, and it means being obedient to His commandments, demonstrating your unselfish commitment to Him through being obedient to Him. Jesus said in John 14, 21, He says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, that's the one who loves me. And my Father loves Him, and I love Him. And I will reveal myself to Him. In John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus says, He who, who keeps my commandments, He said, He loves me, and my Father will love Him, and we will come to Him. And we will make our home with Him. You get it? Those who really truly believe, those who truly love the Lord, are obedient to the Word of God. And that's how we demonstrate our commitment to the Lord. But it's also demonstrated through following Him no matter what. Jesus said, if any man come after me, Luke 9, 23, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Folks, that's commitment. Every day. To be willing to sacrifice whatever is necessary to stay true to Jesus. To go in a direction that may not feel comfortable to you, may not be your preference, but, but the, if the Lord is leading you, you say, I'm right behind you, Lord. I don't want to dare lose track of where you're going. Jesus says, if any man come after me, let him deny, deny himself. That's the hardest hurdle to clear because we're in love with ourselves. Our culture promotes this idea of loving yourself. Get for yourself. Do for yourself. You are somebody. Everybody owes you something. You know, go for the gusto. It's all about self. And Jesus says, baloney. It's not about you. It's about me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me every day of your life. Finally, it's also demonstrated through your supreme love for Him. How much do you love the Lord? Oh, you say, oh, I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Jesus, just stop it right there. Freeze frame. <laughs> Luke 14, 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brothers and his sisters and yea, his own life. Jesus is not saying you need to hate the family you love he's just saying get your priorities right you make sure you love me Jesus says supremely I won't settle for number two number three in your life Jesus said it's one or none if any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother in other words the love that you have for your family would almost appear to be hate though it's not compared to the superior love that you have for the Savior. Whew. Jesus says, if you don't love me like that, you can't call yourself a disciple. You're not one of mine. Now that's tough language. But let me tell you something. Jesus paid it all. Didn't we not sing that? Jesus paid it all. All to Him we owe. Right? So let me ask you, as I close, who do you say Jesus is? Better still, the people that know you, that live around you, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, based on the way you act, the way you conduct yourself, the priorities you have in your life, if I were to go to one of them and say, who does uh, so-and-so, who do you think so-and-so says Jesus is? What would they say based on the testimony of your life? Would those who are closest to you say, oh my goodness, Jesus? To so-and-so? He 
Jesus is everything. Ha, they, they love, they're always talking about Him. They, they look forward to worshiping Him. They, they love serving Him. They, they're always reading the Scriptures when they have an opportunity. They're talking about Him. Oh, they love Him with all their heart. He's, he's, to them, He's the Son of God. He's God. He is their Savior. Oh, yeah. Who do you say Jesus is? Do you sense the Spirit of God dealing in your heart this morning? Maybe this presentation of the biblical gospel has reinforced, and I hope it has. I hope all, all, every step of the way, you're checked, yep, yep, that's right, that's me, I got it, that's, oh, hallelujah. Yeah, this should be one of the most affirming messages you hear. But let me tell you something, if the Holy Spirit is troubling you in your heart, and say, wait a minute, whoa, 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 hold it, you got A right, but go back to B, go back to B. I don't think you're really solid there. Wait, 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 wait. You got A and B. Yeah, I'll give you that. But the Spirit is saying, well, hey, stop at C. Stop at C. Let's talk about this commitment thing. So you see, the Spirit can confirm in your heart and affirm to you that, my goodness, how blessed you are that God has chosen you, elected you, and His Spirit has led you to admit what you need to admit, to believe what you need to believe, and you know, just as sure as you're sitting here today, every day of your life is a life of commitment. Oh my goodness, I'm so happy for you and me. But if it's not, there's hope. There's hope. Because the same Holy Spirit will trouble your heart. If God has chosen you, He'll trouble your heart. And you won't rest. You won't. You can't rest. Until you've got alongside of somebody that you trust in the Word of God, then you can take it right. A, B, C. Hallelujah.